Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For multiple bonus shows per week and access to our full podcast archive featuring in-depth interviews, movie commentaries, and live shows please check out the Steel Wars Patreon podcast feed. The content club level is just $3 a month and is chock full of Star Wars fun and really helps the ongoing production of the show. All the bonus shows download into your podcast app like any other show. Give a month a try at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. Link is in this episode's show notes. And if you do, hit us up for a question for the weekly Patreon Q&A. And now, on with the show. I really hope you enjoy it. This episode of Steel Wars is also available in fully enhanced video form at youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars. Hit the link to watch us talk along with images of everything we're talking about. Treat those eyes. Treat them. Hey you guys, welcome to Steel Wars, I'm comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars and each week we talk to someone of interest about it and this week we have got a guest, a uh, long time coming, but uh, he is here to talk about his very exciting new project, but I know him and probably many of you guys know him from his work at Hasbro and now he's moved on to produce the Star Wars Vintage Collection Archive Edition book. Welcome to Steel Wars, Daryl DePriest. How you doing, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Steel. Great talking to you again. Yeah, it's good to catch up. And, uh, you know, you used to, I, I used to listen to like Star Wars action news and they'd always have the interviews with you and right. talking about all the things that you couldn't talk about that was coming up. <laughs> How long did you work at Hasbro for? I was at Hasbro for 18 years, so I'm no longer there. So uh, we separated ways last fall. Mm-hmm. So coming up on a year ago, but uh, I started in, in 2001, just as Hasbro was, they were closing the Cincinnati office, what used to be Kenner mm-hmm. and moving the boys division to Rhode Island. And that's exactly when I got my opportunity. Um, I actually started on, on GI Joe. And then uh, after about four years there, um, took a job on the Star Wars team, basically transferred. And that was one of the greatest decisions I, you know, I ever did. And uh, I ended up giving, being given G.I. Joe back. So I got to manage, you know, both of my favorite brands and a lot more uh, for the better part of 18 years. The prodigal brand manager. (laughs) Brand manager. And then I got uh, promoted and promoted and, you know, kept going up the chain. So uh, by the time I left, I was vice president of um, global brand marketing. Wow. Um, which basically is basically it's the business manager of, of the brand uh, where you get to work very closely with design. Um, but, you know, architect the line basically that all the markets around the world will take. And then you get to make the, the t- you know, the uh, TV commercials and the website and, you know, every everything basically involved in marketing a brand. Being from Australia, 
uh, I don't collect the the Hasbro stuff anymore. I was I was up until maybe when you got hired. I feel like I might have dipped <clears> out. Actually, I was um, Attack of the Clones did it for me. So um, that I, I had everything, and in some cases, multiples of everything. I had I had I had cornered Australia's market on three and three quarter inch battle droids for a time. I I, I feel like I. <laughs> I really scoured that, but I um, it's funny the Simpsons got me out of Star Wars Hasbro collecting because yeah. around the time of Attack of the Clones, they brought out a Luke Skywalker and he had the floppy hat from um, yeah. the deleted yeah. scene. Yeah, and, and there's that famous episode of the Simpsons where they've got Malibu Stacy and they bring out the new. Like Lisa Simpson makes this new cool um, sort of Barbie doll that's going to like educate children, but then it's like Malibu Stacy comes out with a new hat, and it's like, but it's got a new hat, and and <laughs> Seymour Skinner pushes all the little girls out of the way to get his doll, and I remember being in a Target and just like going, it's got a new hat, it's got a new hat. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 my lifestyle is getting mocked on the Simpsons. I, uh... huh. Well, that's a that was that's kind of a uh, an existential moment for you, <laughs> right? Um, and it's funny for other fans, it's an opportunity. In fact, one of the very last things that I did at uh, or on Star Wars at Hasbro was I did a frame by frame analysis of um, Episode Four, A New Hope, to try and find which characters. From and I was watching the widescreen edition. Which characters, even on the widescreen, we had never done before in any line, to try and get those minute like droids and Jawas and aliens and you know in, in, in imperial troops. And believe it or not, there are a good number of them. As a matter of fact, they'll go into the you know the uh, the lost or the unmade concepts for the vintage collection. One of our chapters in in the book, but. So what wait, 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 wait. How long does this, are you doing it in slow motion? Are you pausing? What's... I was pausing it with every scene. So I wasn't watching the movie to enjoy it. I was watching it for fact-finding research. Like a true I mean, Star Wars fan. Who like watches true... Who watches it yeah. to enjoy it? Yeah. And I came up with a, a, a solid dozen, uh, you know, characters we could do. None of them were like versions of the main characters. We've done every single version of the main character over and over. As a matter of fact, kind of what you were talking about, which is the floppy hat, Luke, that would be like a major variation. We've even done some where, you know, and you probably know like Darth Vader had a million different like chest panels. There were... Whoever was doing the the continuity for his costume back then would be fired today if they oh. made the same errors of continuity. But because of that, it's all these opportunities to change his chest plate and red buttons and green buttons and all this stuff. You know, who knows what those buttons actually do on his chest, you know, plate? But there exist like a myriad different numbers of variations. Well, We've done them all, and they're all collectible. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, one of their purposes hilarious. is to bring out. Action figure variations, I think. That's so true. That's, 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 that's true. I, that's their main that's uh, purpose. Out of the the twelve figures you found, what what's your golden boy? Who 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 really needs to get in there? Uh, I I think it's the there's a 
uh, people call it the gonk droid. It's the power droid, that uh, kind of big square droid. It's mm -hmm. the Lar the, there's a Lars Homestead version that you see down walking around in the yard. We still never, you know, Hasbro's still never done that version. They've done several other gonk droids, but not that kind of signature one. That's probably one of the most important uh, figures that have yet to be done. Really? Oh, well, that's weird because I... I thought it had been done. Like I, I thought, what? So what? Gonk droid. So in the vintage Star Wars figures, right? Yes. Um, which Gonk droid is that? Which Gonk droid do I own? You own. It's just a. It's just a regular um, Gonk droid. It's not. Uh, it's not like the Lars Homestead droid. There's something on it on his head that makes it unique because they also have like different uh, things on the on the, you know, kind of on the on the top of the head. So you own, I think, just kind of a classic Gonk droid. It might be. Uh, uh, I, I don't know uh, in, in the Jawa scene or something like that. Uh... I'm actually, or or on the streets of Mos Eisley or something like that. And I hope I'm not getting my story wrong, and it's not the Lars Homestead droid. I know the one you're talking. It's it's actually it's not for sale. It's actually on the homestead. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. You can see it kind of like down on there's like a, like a down shot, I think. And he's but, bigger uh, than the other one. Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And they're, like, they're different sizes. But so all of the characters that I was teeing up would have made an interesting wave um, of characters. But they were all pretty obscure, and they—they're not for the kind of casual fan. They're for the for the deeper fan. But I think that's what the vintage line was is about anyway. It's for the you know. So so is your project? You're going to bring out all twelve in the same case? That's gutsy. So we were looking at. So this is part. This is part of one of the chapters. We were looking at, and I was asked by Hasbro even after I was I, I had left the Star Wars team, if we were to you know restart vintage, which they did. Um, you know, what do you, do you have a set of figures that, um, you know, you think should, should comprise the line. And given that that's the last thing that I was researching before I left, uh, before I left the star Wars team, I pulled those out. I had screenshots and I provided them to the team. And ultimately they probably thought there, it was a little too obscure to relaunch the line or very obscure. Mm -hmm. So ultimately they didn't choose an episode for, kind of theme to rally around, they went with the new movies, which was the, the better choice. Um, but uh, my desire, and the way I always like to architect a line is, you know, each wave, I wanted to have a theme to center around, which allowed us to put in some A-level characters and B and C-level characters to kind of complete the theme, to give something for the casual fan and, and the core fan, you know, the, the deep fan uh, to rally around. Yeah. What's the official able to be said reason that those Tonka twins have never been action figures? Well, that's really a question I think for Lucasfilm. Oh, I'm trying to remember back. As soon so. as you, as soon as you pull that face, I'm like, I'm not getting an answer. That's I, I. That is that is the like you don't work there anymore, but you've still got the classic Hasbro. I'm not going to answer your question properly. I know that look. Well, I still work with the people at Lucasfilm. You know, I want them to, you know, talk in the book and everything, so I can't uh, <laughs> do anything to kind of piss them off. But they've the, gotten the, to him. That actually, Steele, you're asking probably one of the number one questions we had from fans because we would do. Um, see, you may not have been collecting three and three quarter in the time uh, as as much deeply as when I was there. We used to do every year a fan poll to ask mm -hmm. fans what 
figure do you want to see made that has yet to be made in the line? And then we would work that character in the line and it would appear a year or two later because that's how long it takes to make toys. We, we said right away, do not put the Tonica sisters on this list because if it vo is voted number one, we'll just ignore that and we'll go to the number two. So don't waste your vote. Actually vote for a figure that we would make. And it was one of those figures and there are very few that are on that can never be made list for reasons that, you know, I really can't talk about. So I, I, I still won't reveal Lucasfilm's secrets. So, um, but, uh, you know, those are the reasons, you know, those are the things we can't talk about even today. See, this is what gets me about this whole Star Wars media thing. You know, we'll, there's YouTube and, and there's countless YouTube videos about Star Wars. Some of them better than others. Half of them should be about theories why those two sisters are. <laughs> that, 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 I, I just want to hear just as many like... I, I want all the, the episode nine theorists just to be making up like crazy conspiracy theory videos about why these two girls are not to be made. Yeah. One day. One, one day, day. One day. One That's, day. That, that should have been your stretch goal in your Kickstarter. If you got like oh. a, a million books sold, though, you'd reveal the uh, in a sealed section. Reveal um, the secret. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. Interesting. But I, I don't have a price on that, Steel. Okay. Ethically, I won't cross that boundary. I can't be bought. Well, there is no price. <laughs> As the Million Dollar Man once said, everyone has a price. Okay. I think uh, I think a hitman will come after me if that happens. Mm. Maybe not under the current Disney leadership. But anyway. <laughs> Bob Iger we, has... We digress. Bob Iger seemingly has taken a anti-hitman status with his uh, running of the company. And, and we applaud him for it. Now, um, let's go back to the beginning and, and, and talk about Star Wars a little bit. What, what is your first memory of Star Wars? My very first memory, I remember the day I saw Star Wars um, back in 1977. Um, it wasn't the first showing. It, it, it wasn't in May. I think I went to a friend's birthday party. Um, I want to say it was like early July or something like that. It's, it's one of those movies where still, you know, weeks and weeks after it came out, the lines were huge. And I remember where we stood in line in the parking lot. It was I lived in I grew up in San Diego. So it was a sunny day, a beautiful day. I remember the theater. I remember the line. I remember everything about the movie, the experience where I sat in the theater. I don't remember who I went with. <laughs> I just remember. <laughs> I remember kind of the me part of it, like, you know, my sensory experience of that day. I went with Han and Luke. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's um, you went to the uh, the spiritual home of Nerd Lines, San Diego. That's, that's yeah, that's true. I gr I grew up in San Diego. I went to my first Comic Con in uh, 1976. So, I oh, that was, was the Star Wars Comic Con. That was the first. Uh, that was the yeah, the very first one. It was there, and I wish I could say I have vivid memories of seeing, like, uh, who was there? Was it like, uh, Charles Lippincott who who was there? Yeah, uh, at at Comic Con with a table full of posters. I wish I could say I could remember that. I think that I was actually looking for comic books, but um, I vaguely remember a, 
a, a table that didn't have comic books and somebody was there and there were posters, but I don't know the content. So I think I know exactly where in the room they were. Um, but I don't, I don't, I didn't get, you know, one of the posters or I didn't, I didn't talk to the, you know, to the guy who was uh, manning it, but I did see the movie a little bit later. What, what exclusives did you pick <clears throat> up at that San Diego comic con? Oh, at that one. Yeah. It wasn't quite. What a gentle giant have on offer. Yeah, exactly. It it was a very different experience. That was in the basement of uh, a small hotel called the El Cortez Hotel, mm -hmm. which is actually it's still there in San Diego. It's a round hotel. Um, the basement wasn't round, but the hotel is. Um, and it was so small it, and kind of they laughed. There was a there was a red velvet rope outside. And when me and my two younger brothers, I have uh, a brother, so I was 10, I would have had an eight-year-old and a six-year-old brother. We all went to the Comic-Con. Our dad took us. We were so young, they just let us in for free. They're like, oh, you guys are into comics here. And they lifted the rope and let us walk in. We felt like kings, yes. you know, coming into this place. And it was all adults, you know, pretty much. There really weren't any kids there. And um, back then, it was heavy-duty comics, comics everywhere. It, People really weren't selling, you know, toys or at least not that I'm aware of. But uh, that was a different experience. I've pretty much been to every venue that it's been at since then. I think I think since 76, I've missed maybe four to five Comic-Cons. I just broke a streak of 25 years in a row. I didn't go last year and I won't go this year either. So oh. it's kind of a relief. It's it's gotten so big. <laughs> That's what we love about it. That's what we love about it. <laughs> When you first saw it, how did it hit you? You're into comic books already. You're hanging out yeah. at Comic Con. How did you? Um, what? 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 Were you a changed little boy walking out of that cinema? Uh, it. I was changed the moment the film started. So when the Star Destroyer came overhead, then you know this is what a lot, so many people talk about their memories, their indelible memories of Star Wars. They knew things were different as soon as, you know the. Um, you know, Leia's Corellian fighters, you know, chased and that's cool, but it's shooting back at something. Well, what's it shooting at? And then you find out it just fills the screen. That was indelible. And I knew that that was an amazing moment, but it wasn't until the cantina that I was just completely transported to this universe. The cantina scene for me was it. That was, that was what Star Wars about, you know, this well-lived in hive of scum and villainy, uh, felt so real and, a, you know, a, a, a place you could, you know, really feel a universe you feel like you could belong in. I Luke is my favorite character. I love Luke because of the, you know, the the heroic qualities, but also because when I was 10 and I saw the movie, I thought, yes, the force is this thing that, you know, I could have it in me. It's kind of like it's like Harry Potter is to a generation of kids today, right? Yeah. They could, you could believe you could be in that world and you could be the hero. So all of these things, the, this magic world, so well constructed, so believably real yet alien with heroic aspirate, it, it, you know, it was like the perfect movie for me at that age and life was different then. So when the cantina scene comes on, Right. And, you know, there's a Devorian, the vampire looking guy. There's, there's, um, Muff Tech and Cave. There's, there's Snaggletooth. There's, you know, all yep. these different creatures and you're taking them all in. And then it pans over to these two ladies. And as a 10 year old, you're like, I'm, I'm never going to tell anyone why there's not toys <laughs> of these figures. Like, that's. <laughs> That's how you became a changed man with your secrets, exactly. your little secrets about your twins. Are they twins or are they just sisters? 
Uh, they're sisters. All no, right. they're twins. They're twins. I think in the expanded universe uh, storytelling, they became, they were twins. All right. There, well, was some, there was something about that. There were some stories somewhere. At, at least I got you to answer one question about them. So I feel, yeah, like, exactly. I feel like my journalism cap is, uh, is, is blazing. <laughs> so Luke Skywalker was your guy who I'm a devout Luke Skywalker. You know, like I, I said, like... He was my avatar in the film. Like when he pointed to the light on the Millennium Falcon and Han Solo's just like, shut up. I was like, I think he's got a right to know to why that light. I would ask about the light. Like, I feel that's a, a fair question, Han Solo. You need to chill out. Could be his first spaceship. But um, how, how did you, like, how have you found Luke's um, evolution throughout the sequel trilogy? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was disappointed with The Last Jedi, but I've come to terms with it. I, I personally feel um, that Luke isn't somebody who, um, you know, in the face of tremendous adversity, would just kind of like fold up his tent like a petulant baby and, you know, <laughs> just run away to a rock. I, I feel like he'd be someone who dealt with the situation. Um, and, you know, for case in point for me, when he found out that, Kylo Ren was being manipulated by this guy named Snoke. Um, isn't Snoke the bigger problem? And <laughs> shouldn't you be dealing with that rather than, isn't that the bigger evil in the galaxy rather than, you know, just. I always, I find that really interesting as far, <laughs> like how it's been left so vague is like, you know, when Leia very awkwardly says the word Snoke in the force awakens, like there's a like Snoke got to him or what? And it's like, did you know him? Like, would he walk past? Like, how do you know? Him? Yeah. Like, what what was your interaction pre Kylo right. Ren? But right. in I like I I had other hopes for the Last Jedi. What would happen to Luke? Most of them revolved around him doing the same thing he did in the eighties. But right. now, like, I was like, I want Sail Barge Part Two. I want him to levitate the X Wing. I just want him to do all this. Like, I, I don't have. Yep. like an imagination, but I'm good at remixes. So uh, that's what I wanted. But um, I <clears throat> I liked how he was an inspiration still. Like like the end scene with the broom boy and stuff, like I found that because I felt like he was my inspiration when I was a little kid and I would sort of try to interact with people in a Luke Skywalker fashion, like how he would put down the lightsaber and all that sort of stuff. But as far as going away to his, um, to his little rock and hiding, look at his mentors. Yeah. Two notorious hiders. They, 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 they are known for their seclusion. So um, that is that is a that is an excellent point. That is true. So actually, he's just following his lineage there. Yeah. Oh, it it, it, it turns it turns out two years of debating on Twitter pays off. Yeah, it it does. Although they had you might you might argue for for preservation of the important teachings yet to come. So mm. I mean, maybe I mean that's that's the thing. Uh, maybe there is something there, but I, I've come to terms with it. So I like, you know, how you said it, Luke's symbology lives on in the galaxy. And, and the title of this upcoming film is very interesting too. the rise of Skywalker. What does that mean? Right. Are we all Skywalker? You know, are we all kind of looking to the stars and saying, you know, we're, we're all inspired by that. And we're all, you know, kind of that family. I, I'm, you know, or is, you know, Skywalker a singular person? Is it, is it a, 
a movement. Yeah. You know? I like it because, and I hope after the film as well, that we can, like Return of the Jedi, I really like because after you see the film, you can debate what the, the title of the film meant. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. was it talking about Anakin Skywalker coming back? Was it turning talking about Luke? Was it talking about the Jedi in general? Like, I like, general, right. I, I sort of like the slight, you know, ambiguity to it. And um, I, I hope the rise of Skywalker has, like, afterwards, you can go, were they talking about this or that? Oh, either, you know, <laughs> it's like that, 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 um, that gif on Twitter. It's like, why not both? Yeah. Uh, that's what I like. But when um, I find it very interesting, the way in Star Wars fandom, I, I sort of, I don't know, I feel like I maybe follow it differently to some people in that I like seeing how people react to things that they do and they don't like. Do you know what I mean? And I'm wondering, like, after seeing The Last Jedi and the reaction to it, it's made me softer on the things that I didn't like, like in the prequel, say, because it's sort of like this is to get this worked up over space movie is crazy. Do you know what I mean? So I'm wondering if your not liking of the film, did it make you think back to um, I'm sure that you've encountered some angry toy fans that were just, they couldn't believe that you did that belt buckle on that figure or something like that. Did, did that like being on both sides of the of the fan fence? Yeah, so we see that. So the good thing is that we've got things that we're passionate about that we talk about all the time. You've got a weekly show about it. You know, I made a, a good career about it. But at the same time, when you're dealing with passionate fans who have a deep emotional investment in something the the reaction they have sometimes can be very strong even over minor things and it can be you know minor things that you might i mean the, the films are kind of a major thing because that is the source of everything but then even toys do upset people they sometimes upset people for the things we don't make when i was at hasbro i encountered plenty of fans you know and i love talking to fans at comic-con but you could tell that they had some frustrations when um you know they couldn't find figures at retail um, when they wouldn't do the figures they've been asking us to do for years. And there's a, there's a sense of, uh, I don't know, anger. Sometimes polite, more polite, less polite. But it's almost, we can coin a term here, Steel. People can get fangry. <laughs> they can get fangry when, you know, they don't like the way the movie turned out or the way Game of Thrones ended or why they can't find, you know, action figures at retail. These are, you know, these are reactions to, uh, you know, kind of irrational problems to have, right, about, you know, fantasy worlds and things you collect, but fangry. It, 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 it is weird <laughs> that you like something so much that you get angry about it. Like that's, yeah, it, it's like I am furious that I like Star Wars toys so much that there's I can't buy any more. I need. Can you please make some more for me to buy? I cannot find them. But um, yep. what was the out of all the people, like all the complaints about you know stuff that that the toy line did? What was the like one where you're like, oh, all right then, okay, that's a complaint. The the complaints. Yeah. Um, 
Well, um, there were a lot, there were quite a few complaints. I used to, in fact, one thing I used to do, uh, I used to actually personally do our, we used to have a weekly Q and a with, with websites oh, where we invited the sites. I to loved send in that. I love the Q and a, I loved actually loved writing them. And I personally, I think of the close to 1500 questions that we actually did over the course of uh, a number of years. I think I wrote personally all of them, but maybe a couple of dozen. So I really took it on myself to actually answer these because I wanted fans to have an honest response. And I wanted fans to understand how basically Hasbro is a corporation as much as, you know, we, we were fans on the team at the time. But there are there are business principles behind it. Mm. But but the the best thing to come out of those Q and A's were a general awareness because I couldn't read every message board and I couldn't see everything. It was a way to bubble up the biggest common causes. Um, and you saw that in the questions that were repeated week on week. It was the questions that were submitted by multiple fan sites that I could answer all at the same time. And mostly they were questions about availability. How come I can't find this or that? But it was also questions about figures that should be re-released or significant ones that needed an update or making us aware of figures that had yet to be done. Mm. And um, kind of one of those, I think one of the one of those uh, questions led to we did a figure in the vintage collection, a cantina alien. So back to our, you know, my favorite things. It's a cantina alien named Bomb Vinden. And I don't know if you know this guy, but he's got kind of a, a you know, kind of a white head with a horn in the middle of the head, ah, yeah, of, yeah, of the yeah, head. Yeah. you know, two black eyes, really cool looking guy. I mean, not outrageous. He's not like a, you know, the Deveronian with, you know, two horns and a devil grin, but he's still a super cool, iconic alien. Well, my design partner, Brian Parrish and I had always assumed that we hadn't done bomb Vinden. Like this guy existed in the line for years. And I think it wasn't until one of the Q and A's from the fan sites that came in kind of alerted us to, they said, Hey, how come you guys haven't done a bomb Vinden? And I looked at Brian and I said, haven't we, you know, and then we looked and then we went, we combed all the archives. We had never done this guy. So it was, it was fans alerting us to the fact that there was this still significant character that we hadn't done that kind of triggered that impulse. So, you know, that was it was that QA was great for that, but it was also great for inspiring the re-releases that we would do. And basically it became a um we we took that cue, we formed a whole line called Saga Legends, which were just just designed to re-release the fan favorites that people couldn't find anymore. You know, sand specific sand troopers and specific droids and and you know, high demand characters like that. And but you know, Boba Fett, people couldn't find him. So, you know, we you know the fans were instrumental in guiding us. And that was the most, you know, important thing. It was truly collaborative between the fans and us, you know, from that standpoint. So what was your path from, you see the film and then in 2001, you're, you're working at Hasbro under GI Joe. What, what do you have to do in between that time to get a job at a toy company? That's what, 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 where do I need to go? Who do I need to get to teach me to do something? Well, I'm a I'm a perfect example. So I I was actually before. Let me let me take you back to the earliest parts of my career. After I graduated from university, so I I graduated from UC San Diego um, with degrees in biology and psychology. I went right to graduate school. So I went to work on a PhD in neuroscience. 
that's what I wanted to do. I thought I would be a scientist at a research university with my own lab conducting experiments. And I was really interested in vision, like how the, how the brain processes vision. So I had, you know, my, I envisioned my career being in science, you know, I'd be a, be a scientist. And then it was during graduate school that I realized I wasn't as passionate about that field as you really needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started on the, on the side, I started collecting toys and, uh, re, you know, reacquiring GI Joe and then collecting star Wars and GI Joe again. And I kind of said, and I used to go to the toy stores all the time. And this is in the, uh, late eighties and early part of the nineties. And I said, wow, this is such a fun field. How do I get a job in toys? And I decided then that I would switch. So after five years, I left school, but I didn't get my doctorate. I have a master's in neuroscience. That's my degree. It's not in marketing. It's in neuroscience, brain research, basically. Some would argue it's the same thing, but exactly right. <laughs> well, it's a little bit, there's a, there's research involved, which has always served me well, you know, in my career. But my career defining advice, the thing that that really pointed me in a direction um, that I've paid forward to this day is I actually called Hasbro. I sent them a note. I said, hey, I'm a big G.I. Joe fan. You guys make G.I. Joe. How do I work for you on G.I. Joe? Right. This would be my dream job. This was in around 1991, something like that. I actually got a call back. Believe it or not, Hasbro called back and says, you know, and they said, hey, you know, we, we read your letter. We looked at your pictures of your collection that you sent and everything fans do. And they say, we're in, you know, we want to talk to you. What, you know, what do you want to do? Tell us this. And they gave me about a half an hour of their time. It was a guy named Vinny DeLiva there who was at Hasbro, who was a director then. Um, now Vinny's, uh, he runs uh, Tomy International. But Vinny basically said, listen to me. He said, look, you don't have any experience. I can't hire you. What I recommend is if you're serious about being in toys, go into marketing, do anything, get any job in marketing, just start changing, you know, change your career, start marketing, and then get some years of experience, then we can talk again. And that's exactly what I did. I said, okay, that's great advice. It sounds like, you know, marketing is for me based on everything that Vinny talked about. That was career defining advice. And basically I got, I was very lucky after graduates, the science and school. I got a job at Atari games in the Bay area oh. and, uh, making video games. It's like, I talk about landing in a super lucky spot, kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say I talked my way in there, but I do understand, you know, video games. And, um, and then really I've only ever had two jobs. So it was the video game job, um, midway, midway bought Atari. And then I spent eight, almost nine years there and then Hasbro. So kind of my, you know, my career advice to people who, who always want to get into, especially, you know, in marketing of in, in the toy industry, and I've talked to a lot of people, it's if you don't have marketing experience, just get it right. Just go get it, especially nowadays, digital marketing. It's all about digital. It's about social. It's about understanding those platforms. And um, you can come from a non-marketing background and be very successful if your intuition and passion are in the right place. So, you know, passion is another thing that I always, you know, I always looked for. So, um, but in right before I came to Hasbro, I did write a book on the 12 inch GI Joe line, uh, which is the other line I grew up in. My, my childhood kind of spanned the 12 inch GI Joe of the 
mid 1970s all the way to you know Star Wars three and three quarter um, up up until about 1980. So that that those define my childhood. So I wrote I wrote that book that also caught the attention of Hasbro. But you know, eight years later, they uh, called me and uh, offered me a job. So that's uh, that's kind of my career arc. Independently produced podcasts like Steel Wars survive off listener word of mouth. Listeners or viewers just like you. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, the latest episode is always pinned to the top of our feeds at Steel Wars. And if you're watching on YouTube, of course, hitting like and subscribing apparently helps us out. And the classic request, if you're on iTunes, please leave us a sweet five-star review as it bumps us up the rankings and lets other potential listeners know that we're doing good stuff. So if you want more podcasts, more enhanced podcasts, and just generally more content, please pod it forward. Thanks so much, and now back to the show. So how deep was your G.I. Joe collection? It's very deep, and to this day, I have uh, I have a complete, you know, twelve-inch GI Joe collection of that era. As a matter of fact, I try to be complete on GI Joe for all twelve-inch figures of all time, including the line that I managed again when I came to Hasbro, um, and I have all the three and three-quarter figures as well, and I have you know a complete uh, Star Wars three and three-quarter collection. So, what? and I, and I've got a lot more action figures than that too. What? What? So. You've got a complete Star Wars three and three quarter collection. Yeah, complete everything, everything what? loose. And uh, I'm no longer a modern package collector. I collect loose, but when it comes to vintage, I'm uh, nearly complete. There's some vehicles I'm still missing boxed, but I have <laughs> everything loose. Yeah, three and three quarters, my jam. I love it. It's such a phenomenal scale. How many figures have there been? Now, oh, that's a great question. Don't know exactly, but it's in the thousands. If you count all the variations of the figures, it's it's pushing probably 2,000. It might even be more than that now. For Star Wars, that is. G.I. Yeah. Joe has almost the same. It's, it's just a staggering number of variants. Both of these lines are just massive. Because I sort of, when the hat, there was the hat incident, and I was, I'm, I'm out, and... What sort of bugged me? I've got this. I'm plagued by having a light OCD and being very messy, which are very <laughs> conflicting things. <laughs> but it annoyed me that. So when they announced they were going to bring out these figures again, right? In 1996 or whenever it was, The Power of the Force 2. I, in my head, was like, they will just bring out the best version of this figure. And that'll be it. Like, and then we'll move on and they'll do other figures. Do you know what I mean? And then they came out and they were all like he manned up. And then, you know, over time they'd, yep. they'd bring right. out the like, you know, then there'd be like this Jedi Luke five Lukes later. And you're like, this is the best Jedi Luke ever. Why didn't they bring it out five Lukes ago? Because I just wanted the best version of each one. And that's when I just went, I'm just going to get the vintage ones now because they're not going to make any more. Little did I know. But, um, yeah, I just couldn't, like I sort of, in some ways how they did the Kenner one, how they never updated them, although they did the droids, it, it appeals to me. But like I sort of, it, it really bugged me that they just kept bringing out the same, because I, I just wanted yep. the one, 
Like I'd have maybe one in a in a setup, a diorama, and then I'd have one there, and then they'd bring out another Tatooine Luke that I didn't need for any of my dioramas or rows. Yep. But you just say don't buy it. But that's <laughs> that's not how like I'm all not, like I have to have one of something. Yep. Or the lot of something. And that's well, I'm a completist too. I'm the same way. I have to have them all, even if as painful as it, as it is, if the sculpt isn't that great or if it has diminished articulation, I still have to have it if it's in the scale. But that's the, you know, that's what I signed up for. Um, actually, there's one collection I just recently shut off. Um, I also collect DC Direct superhero figures. Mm -hmm. And um, DC finally tested my patience because they're, they produce the umpteenth Supergirl or Superman or whatever it was. And the waves are starting to become indistinct from each other. Like you're, they're just recycling the same characters. They're not doing new characters. And I figured it was enough. And once that kind of bubble bursts, I'm out. Like I don't need another one unless they do a totally new figure, but I don't need 50 different versions of Superman, which is pretty much what they've done over time. And what you're describing is not atypical for a lot of fans. And that's the reason why Star Wars... Uh, the Black Series, the six-inch series exists, is because there were so many fans, back to your original question, Steele, it's like how many Star Wars three and three-quarter figures are there? There are thousands. There. It's an intimidating number. And if you intend to be complete or even to get the signature one, what you learn is that, well, the, you know, they may not have created the signature one yet, right? The Vintage Collection actually was our answer to that. It's like a, it, it's it's our definitive version of that character that should never be duplicated or topped. It, it's as good as it's going to get for three and three quarter. And that's that, I think that's held true. I think there's very few examples in the Vintage Collection where that that figure couldn't be, you know, isn't needs to be updated in a significant way. So I'll say it's the definitive version. But to a lot of fans, the three and three quarter scale is just so intimidating. Where do you start? And there's so many vehicles too. You know, do I just get figures? Do I just get oh. vehicles? So that's why when the six inch line, when we launched that, we knew that we were going to get a lot of what we call lapsed fans back into collecting again, because it's a way to start over again. It's a safe way to start. You don't have to worry about everything that went before. You feel like you're you're on the ground floor, something new, and that turned out to be true. That was a you know a huge, you know huge uh, kind of a watershed moment, you know, in collecting when we did that. Yeah, well, I feel like I got out at a very good time because that whole Clone Wars era was like I see people's collections, like people tweet their collection, and it's like there's gunships and this, and it's like insane yep. but there's like you guys in like that sort of pre uh force awakens era just yep. oh my god just pumping out just bangers and i he sort was, of yeah i would sort of listen to the, the star wars action news podcast i thought i'll just listen to these guys talk about what they bought and i'll go have a look in the shop but i'll live vicariously through other people, it's far cheaper. They give these podcasts away for free. <laughs> the business model's terrible. Yeah, like some of that, like wh when do you think Star Wars action figure collectors were the happiest in your time in working with the line? 
so um, when we were doing, I think uh, we did a line called the Star Wars, the 30th anniversary that had the coins. We brought back the, those uh, aluminum coins, mm-hmm. Power of the Force coins. So this was in, uh, I want to say 2007, we started this and it was so successful. It ran for a, a couple of years. It ran for actually longer uh, uh, than we originally envisioned. So typically a line would last a year and then we look for like the new wrap, the new interesting thing. The coins were so powerful, we actually extended that. And we, uh, we burst through this binder we made to collect those coins. We did so many of them. But I, that was, that led into the launch of the Clone Wars uh, in 2008. And um, I would say those kind of years, 2007 to 2009 or 10, were probably the best years for Star Wars. I think the fans were happiest. Uh, There was new entertainment. The Clone Wars was exciting and new. We were putting out the big new vehicles, the new Millennium Falcon we were able to do because the business was so good, brand new giant scale AT-AT. Um, you know, Republic gunships galore. And we were able to do things like the build a droid line in the, what we called then called the legacy collection, where we were giving parts of droids those years to me I look back on them. They were unbelievable years. It was, they were so fun to work on with the team and fans seem so genuinely happy that, you know, I lump all those, those years and those lines all together because truly it was, it was a, a golden time, I think, you know, for uh, fans. When you brought out that big boy named Falcon, I was like, probably should have got that Luke with the hat. I probably should have kept <laughs> on with I can't just get the Falcon because that's like, that's going to yeah. ruin my, um, my yeah. neuroses. But yes, I was like, oh, that is like, it, yeah. it, it makes it fun to go to friends' houses that have, you know, got that stuff because it's like, I'm so familiar with like the vintage stuff and the sort of pre, like the Phantom Menace backwards stuff that um, like to see like like those toys and stuff. And even walking around Celebration this year, I was like, oh my God, they made that real? Like I, I thought I was like yeah, pretty on it. Like, you know, and I was like, oh my God, they made that alien or that three pack or whatever like that. Yep. There's so much stuff. There's so many things that we were able to do. And, and, one of the things actually I'm, I'm particularly proud of is the service we gave. You talked about being one of the foremost collectors in Australia, battle droids during your time, right? So what, That's actually, not an one, official title. I don't, want people, I, don't want, no. I don't want some dude in Darwin to go like, oh, I've got 3,000 battle droids, buddy. You, you need to shut up. I, I think we need a battle droid showdown <laughs> steal. You can own this. You can, you can take it. But one thing that we did in Clone Wars was we did a lot of service, of course, to the clones. But, you know, what are clones without their battle battle droids? We did, the Clone Wars did a great job. And Dave Filoni and his team did such a great job of making new vehicles for the, you know, for the droid army. That every time there was a great new vehicle, we worked it into the line. And you kind of look back now and it's unbelievable how many droid vehicles we made. And, um... And, you know, droid gunships and these these octo droids and all kinds of crazy things that I'm so glad exist because of Clone Wars. Um, but you kind of look back and go, wow, we did that many things just for those droids. It's it's kind of ridiculous. It also begs a philosophical question, like, is a droid gunship an actual droid itself or is it piloted by droids? Because it 
shouldn't need to be piloted. No, by no, birds. no, no, no. That's the sort of question that makes Star Wars fall apart. You just oh, okay. Just, All right, we'll skip that. You get, you're we'll gonna you're gonna ruin. Pretend like, that didn't happen. A lot of my life with those sort of questions. <laughs> you just why do you need a yeah a droid on a droid? Well, that's that's like Battlestar Galactica got around that by they just put the like they made the ship the the creature sort of thing. They 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 got around that. But um, not as um, toyetic, as they like to say. Oh, definitely not. Uh, around your parts. I'm interested about this because obviously, you know, you did a lot of research into the fans and stuff. And at they brought out the Hasbro, the, the barge, the, the, the sail barge. Which, sail barge. How many times did you get close to making that? Never. Never. Okay. In my time. So let me, let me set it, set the record straight. I was not on the star Wars team or over star Wars when they decided to launch the, uh, the HasLab, uh, you know, sail barge campaign. I was on the side, they consulted me. And, um, so I had some input to it, but it wasn't the decision-making. My advice to them was this this is a vehicle that we would never, ever make if we had to rely on traditional retail. And, and in fact, this was something that fans asked about on the Q&As. Will you ever do a sail barge? Categorically, I said, no. I'm not even going to offer a glimmer of hope that we, could, that we could do this. But this was back in the days before you had crowdfunding, mm. right? Basically, that vehicle exists solely because of crowdfunding exercises. No retailer would ever touch that. They wouldn't take the product commitment. So I didn't even harbor any hope that you could see a vehicle like that. So my hat's off to the, to the team that spearheaded that to recognize that, you know, the conventions of today that allow you to go directly to fans for a product like that, because that would not have existed. You know, it obviously didn't exist and it was never even a possibility, you know, in the, in the 10 years that I, uh, that I headed up the line just because I didn't want to break any hearts. You know, I didn't want to get people's hopes up. That was always a thing being a fan myself. The last thing I want to do is promise something that can't be delivered. And so I was always very, you know, more pragmatic in that, not even getting people's hopes up. I, you know, I always said, we'll look into it. If there's a way we can do it, we, you know, we will. So, yeah, um, I, that was the other thing that's made me like, I was like, Ooh, wish I was collecting for the, the, the barge and that big Falcon. But let me, let me tell you, there is a set that I did with, um, there's a designer named Brian Merton, who's uh-huh. now at Lucasfilm. So he runs the, co- the collectible licensing at Lucasfilm. So Brian Merton was my design partner and we designed, or he designed, and I marketed, we created together a pit of carcoon set for, um, you know, years ago, this was probably back in, uh, I want to say maybe 2010, 2011, that actually has, you know, all the tentacles. It's got a, a sand-shaped yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. We, we said, you know, the, the plastic inside that usually holds a toy up, like it's called the, the inner blister. We said, what if we could do that sand thing that we would normally, like instead of doing it in clear, we shot it in tan and it's like a part of a diorama. And then we did the pit of carcoon, all, all those, you know, the, or the, the tentacles from the Sarlacc pit. I'm so glad. And so we did this set and it had, it had the, um, uh, not the, the sand skiff, like the, you know, Jabba's skiff out there and it had a Luke and stuff in it. I'm very familiar with it. So 
I'm so glad this thing exists because now I can take that and put it underneath the barge and I've got the, you know, the pit of carcoon to go with the barge. So oh. my thanks to the Hasbro team for helping me, you know, complete something that was, you know, un unbelievable. But, uh, but now it goes with, with, with my, uh, Sarlacc pit. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I was a bit dirty on how the timing with the sail barge worked out that we didn't get at Comic-Con like the ultimate sail barge diorama oh. like that look, oh. that's my favorite scene i was just like that'd be so so i'm leaving it up to the fans i know they'll come through and i'll yeah. I'll, I'll see a guy that's um ruined half his house with this this giant tatooine diorama and it will be <sighs> the best that's right now uh -huh. so you did a lot of yeah obviously you would have done a lot of research now the hasbro barge comes out and i think it sold eight thousand in that range Let's round it to that. So by definition, there is no more than 8,000 Star Wars completionists on the planet. How different was that in the 2000s to your knowledge? Well, I can't give you exact quantities, but in the before... Uh, so 2008 was also a tough year for fans because we had the economic meltdown, right? So I always, I always look at my time on Star Wars as, as pre-2008 and then post-2008 in terms of like the number that we could release of the most obscure character in the line. Mm -hmm. and, um, and those numbers changed drastically. So, you know, in 2007, going into 2008, before the whole meltdown, um, we had... The, the number was actually very large of, of uh, aliens that we could ship around the globe. And I say aliens, I use Cantina aliens as a benchmark, like, because they're about the most obscure thing you can get. Jabba's henchmen, because no kid is going to really want those or recognize those as a main character. So I always said, those are going to core fans. They were pretty substantial numbers and they've never recovered. So, um, but then again, we also had a disparity uh, in the, you know, in the 10 years that I was over the line, vehicles never sold nearly to the fraction you will think of compared to every figure, you know, in the line. Vehicles are a different animal. So people may collect figures, but they purposefully decide that they're just going to cherry pick or select only certain iconic vehicles to get. They don't get them all because of the space considerations. Mm -hmm. So I don't look at the number of um, sail barges that were sold necessarily as a reflection of the number of Star Wars, uh, say, completists that are out there because some people are buying figures, but they're not buying the vehicles and they are fine with that. They've they've chosen themselves to, to live that way. You know, the problem is the characters are the card variations, you know, that come, you know, kind of come with that vehicle. Right. But it's not the only face place you can get, you know, yak face. But, mm. you know, I know that. So, you know, there there are different different numbers between, uh, you know, between, you know, figures and vehicles. But I would say. The hobby, you know, the, the fan base isn't what it was at its height, you know, almost 10 years ago. It's it's come down. But I, I think it's also a reflection of what we talked about earlier. At, at a certain point, three and three quarter is too big, too intimidating, and it has it could have marginal returns. Just like you said, why do I need to pay for the floppy hat, Luke, when I already have a pretty good farm boy, Luke? It's like the the differentiation of each character is thinner now. 
Today, we have new movies, right? That's fueling new, new characters largely. You have less of what we were doing in my time of finding those little differences for each of those characters, those Darth Vader chest panel lights. Nowadays, you really don't need to do that because people just want, you know, there's endless new troopers, you know, in every single film, you know, that can do. There's tons of aliens, more aliens than Hasbro can ever do, mm. you know, in a typical Star Wars film. Well, well, that's like the fandom, I think, across the board had to like shift when you look at um, like in the 2000s and, and the night, like how even like when they were making films, it was every three years. So you could like deep dive whether it would be like novels around or comics or or figures like you could really which i I sort of think i don't know sometimes people are still in that sort of late 90s mindset of like we don't have all the information about this like we don't know and it's like there's no time like it's 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 a different like it was almost sad what we were doing like we were just yeah. milking. Like <laughs> yeah. I always look. I, I don't. I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but I always feel bad at Comic Con. They'll have the the Firefly Serenity. Um, they'll have the meetup for the fans, the brown coats, right. and you know their their big thing for the year will be there's a new comic coming out about Firefly, and and Josh is involved, and it's all very exciting, and like that sort of on a bigger scale, but how it was for Star Wars fans, it's like, we're not getting what we actually truly want, right? which is films. Yeah. So let's write 150 books about what happens after Return of the Jedi, or let's have like, let, let's pay some dude that's meant to be a neurosurgeon or whatever, a <laughs> neuroscientist to freeze frame his way through a new <laughs> Well, exactly. And, and the, well, it's interesting. The fire, the firefly fans aren't, fangry right no nah. they're more they're more resigned i mean that's the state of it serenity is gone you know they they're happy with what bits they get star wars fans are it's a different matter entirely you know with disney putting you know strong um you know screen time behind the films i mean look at all look at everything that's coming up on tv pretty soon we're going to have a, a richness of stuff that's unbelievable you know clone wars is starting up again man and the DeLorean's coming out, more series. There's more. There's going to be more Star Wars we can wrap our heads around soon. The toys are, you know, can't keep pace with that, I think, the, the, the rate of things. It's very different from, you're right, the days when we were chasing expanded universe, you know, comic titles um, to do great figures, but obscure figures in, in the canon, you know. Like, I'd like things just to go a little bit slower, just for them to... Like, I don't know, I sort of feel like now a film's going to come out and you're going to get 12 figures and then it's like, I don't know, just like a real token thing. So I, I, I like the in-depth thing, but how different is the whole, like, scope of toys now? Like, how hard is it to make money just making toys with the amount of other things? Like, people compare Star Wars to how it used to be and like how much of the aisle it took up and like Hasbro sort of had the license to themselves before there was like, you know, even like Lego mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's changed so much. And then there's, you know, everything else there is for a kid to do. Like how, how different, yes. like how amazing is it that toys are still getting made in such quantities now? 
Well, it, 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 it is amazing. You know, my hope is always, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the power of play. I think I grew up in an era where imaginative play was everything, you know, mm-hmm. and, and GI Joe is, I think one of the most important toys of all time for that in just stimulating it, personal storytelling where tools were just the medium of fueling that. And I grew up that way with Star Wars too. My hope is always that new generations of kids are inspired in the same way that I grew up. And that, in fact, you know, that's what I did for 18 years at Hasbro. I was, I was inspired by that dream of the things I was making were being played with by kids, you know, creating indelible memories, but also empowering personal storytelling. That was my mantra. In fact, I used to have that written on my, my whiteboard. You know, that's, this is what we do. Right. And, um, and, uh, as my, I always thought that, you know, we talk about steam nowadays, the elements of steam being so important where the A is arts, but I, I would stick an eye in there, you know, I steam or something like that for imagination. It's such an important attribute. And, uh, you know, it, it pains me. I recognize that kids aren't playing the same way, you know, that they used to. We know that for a fact. And, and we're, you know, more kids are spending more time on screens and not out in the yard. Um, but I, you know, I am inspired just with the sheer number of lightsabers that, uh, you know, we always sold. People are playing them. And when you see kids going out and banging lightsabers, they're, you know, they're imagining themselves in the, in the, in the role of that, you know, of those characters. And that's always a, a good uh, I guess, indicator of, you know, the health of a franchise when your role play is selling really well. And I would, uh. I would chalk it up to, uh, you know, Star Wars and Marvel is inspiring, you know, kids to still play characters, even though they may not be playing with, you know, figures as much anymore. And you can tell, I'm not revealing anything about the business. I, I you know, I haven't been over the Star Wars business for uh, a number of years, so I really don't know, you know, anything about the health of it. But, you know, you can tell it's not, you know, what it used to be with the number of, uh, you know, pegs devoted, uh, to figures anymore. You know, it's not, you know, it's not what, what it once was. So that, you know, that might tell you that, uh, you know, it's, there aren't as many, you know, kids playing as there, as there used to be, but, uh, it's a shame. I really wish it were otherwise, but I'm, I'm, I'm still heartened by the ones that are. And, you know, I certainly dedicated my career to catering to them. Now I'm a kid of the vintage era. Those figures to me seem far more playable than like the like the the ones now that seem sort of flimsy and like even the Attack of the Clones. I'm going back to these Attack of the Clones. Yeah, sure. Mantra. Yeah, but I remember when they came out and they had the magnet spoiler hand that came off for Anakin. That, but I, I just sort of noticed that like, oh, these don't. I think maybe that's something that subconsciously I thought like these don't seem like the ones I loved. Like they seemed far more. Yeah. They just fall over straight away. And like, yeah. So like, like do kids, what do kids want? What do kids want? Well, what, so what you're talking about is a very real problem in that. Oh, and and might I add is if they don't want what I wanted when I was a kid, they're wrong. Okay. So I just want to set the groundwork of this discussion and it's incredible bias. I, but I think you're, you are right in, in um, such a way that when we were, when we were creating figures and advancing articulation. So that's one thing that we did when I, when I was there, we kind of moved the state of articulation. It was, uh, it was 
it wasn't necessarily planned obsolescence. Like we're going to put in, you know, two more points of articulation to a figure to make last year's Clone Wars figure. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Kind of obsolete, so everyone will have to buy into the new one. It wasn't like that. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't in the sense that we always wanted to kind of upgrade and make our figures even more uh, realistic if we, if we could, because it would allow for a greater range of posability. So it's kind of like when you're stepping away from a five-point articulated figure, like the Kenner figure that we grew up with playing, like imaginatively playing with those figures, if you start to add articulation, what do you really want to achieve with that articulation? The idea is that you can imagine those characters and actually execute them in more realistic poses. So in other words, somewhere between a five-point articulated figure and an infinitely articulated figure is, is this continuum where you can either, you can maybe never be satisfied with it, depending upon what you want to do with it, or, you know, it, 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 it's something where it fulfills your needs for what you intend to do it for. And I think most kids are over here. They're satisfied with the five-point articulated figure because they just want to. And you've always seen the classic example of kids just bashing them together. That is how ki some kids play. Other kids imagine, you know, and they, and they play with it as if they're the field general or actually one of the characters. And they're not necessarily posing it, but rather they're controlling the situation. So that's why when we reintroduce the five-point articulated figure is kind of an answer to the increasing cost of producing the, the highly articulated figures, I was emboldened by the, by the knowledge that kids just want to play. Some fans may not like this. Some fans probably will because it it's back to the true nature of what is a toy. It, it's almost an existential question. What is a Star Wars figure? What is a toy? What's the purpose of it? And design always has that mantra, right? You know, um, you know, uh, you know, um, you want to, you know, design it for the intended use that, um, you know, that your, your audience is going to have for it. And in that case, you know, you're just giving kids a figure that they can use in their play. They don't need the articulation. Yeah. And, and in fact, when we were starting to do all these super articulated figures right around the Clone Wars era, not Attack of the Clones, but Clone Wars, we were creating these wrist joints that would allow you to, to pose your blaster in any way. The problem is the corollary of that, you, you get great articulation, great posability. We're starting to see in the digital millennium amazing photos of people using you know, our Star Wars figures and oh. amazing realistic photos. That's one of the benefits is the social media use of our figures, both three and three quarter and black series. But on the other hand, moms would write in to con consumer affairs at Hasbro saying, my son's hands fell off his figure. You know, 
what a poor design you have, what can you do about it? And so we used to send out tons of replacement, you know, clones because the the, the hands would come off so easily as a product of the design, like mm. the, the way the joint was trapped in the wrist. So on the one hand, we're doing things that satisfy collectors who use them a certain way. On the other hand, we were making things that were over-designed for kids for their intended use and they couldn't play with them. They, they were, they were bad toys from that standpoint because they inspired less play. 2008, more kids or adults? Uh, 2008 was clone wars and there was an amazing number of kids who came into the brand. Then I would say more kids, kids, kids poured into the franchise because of clone wars. Was there a time when there was more adults? Uh, mm, prior to episode one, certainly. I think, I think fans were more driving the bus. That's um, I, I, that's when they were the best. Like yeah. I, I, I was, um, I was thinking about it the other day because I just set up behind me my my cabinet. We just moved, so I set up my cabinet. I'm very happy. All my vintage figures are, are stood up, and I have to say, I was going through. I was looking at a couple of them. Some of them, like some of them, are like Luke Stormtrooper is, like it's one of the most coveted figures, but it is brutal. The man does not own a neck, right? <laughs> but then you've got figures like Lando, like General Lando, the Lando Skiff Guard, and it's like, I reckon you're done. I reckon like Lando yeah. Skiff Guard is, yeah. it's hard to, like, you know, you could add all this stuff, but for me as a kid, it's like, perfect. You've nailed Perfect. it. It's him. Perfect figure. Yeah. Helmet comes off. Got I, to start. You know, I, I agree. To, and, and to me, I, well, I see both sides of the continuum. I love super articulated figures, but I don't go out and pose them and I don't have time to do like the dioramas that I really want. But the people who use them are creating gold. They're geniuses. They're creating absolutely unbelievable things. And I'm so proud to have, you know, helped lead the team that, you know, kept pioneering new ways to add joints almost invisibly to make things that are works of art. And, you know, I think so many people are here in this, in this, you know, kind of pop culture, you know, this collecting world who revere action figures as a form of art, you know, to them, it's a, it's a canvas and it's a usable canvas for people who, who are using them as like actors in their own, you know, in their own, you know, kind of films or, or, uh, or storytelling action figures are a special type of art for them. So I'm very proud of those. But at the same time, to your point, I think the five-point articulated figures that Hasbro is doing now fulfill every desire that a kid should have, exactly like you said, of that skiff guard Lando. It, it's a great figure. It's perfect. It captures the likeness. It's beautiful aesthetics. There's a nice sculpt there, perfectly proportioned. It's got the, the accessory you need. That's a perfect figure too. So in short, they're they're all perfect, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think as long as the aesthetics, you know, as long as the aesthetics are right, there's nothing that, that detracts from you. All you know, both both figures, you know, types of figures have their purpose and their role. Need new t-shirts? Need new hoodies? Want a ton of stickers jammed into an envelope? Then hit up the Steel Wars merch store at merchostore.com or steelwars.com. For classic fan t-shirts like Your Snoke Theory Sucked, I'm Ray's Parents, or Have You Seen Him? 
and the reprint of our Chicago Sports Reference t-shirt and hoodie is about to start shipping. All prints are screen printed on the highest quality ring spun tube t-shirts, so your t-shirt will last for ages and the print won't wash off. And all purchases go to support the ongoing production of the Steel Wars podcast. And this little dude that wants to talk on the app. So listen to the happy pleas of a nine-month-year-old boy and check out merchostore.com or steelwars.com. Good work, Harry. I think you got him on that one. Top star. Now... Before we have to talk about this book because it, it is just amazing, but this has been my pitch. I'm sure I've bugged you about this in the early years, but th- this is my go to Comic Con question. Like before I had a podcast and they do the QA, I would get, I'd line up because I'm like, I'm doing the question again. I don't care. My wish, which would get me, I'd be, I'd be straight over it, is, and they got close. I got fooled. I got I got April fooled tr- tricked that they were going to do this. Is to bring out retro style figures, yeah, of prequel and sequel characters. So I want, yeah, like I want a vinyl caped Qui Gon. I want all of it. Do you know what I mean? I want, like, yeah. I, I, it'd be so good. And then they bring out, like, I got these tweets from Toy Fair. Someone's like, that was like at the present. They're, they're doing what you want, Steel. Finally, and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then the photos come out, and they've just rebrought out the like the figures that it, like I've, I've got back there, and and then the Tarkin figure, which is and, and like, Tarkin, like that, yeah. that like that is like you're getting very close to the dream. Like I don't want, I, yeah. I, 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 if listen, if you bring out this telescoping lightsaber Darth Maul figure, and I have to buy Star Wars Trivial Pursuit to get it, oh, they'll be hell to pay. None of these boxing games, but is is that a is that an idea that you think would work? Validate me or, or shut on, me down. On, for the telescoping lightsaber figure? Just to bring out vintage retro style figures. Like, I want bad figures. Bring- well, they are. They're bringing them out. So the Tarkin is a good example. So let me give you a few figures that were never made in Kenner, the Kenner line mm-hmm. when we were kids that should have existed. Grand Moff Tarkin, right? Now he exists. So, and you've reminded me, I need to go find mine. I still haven't found that one. I, I can't wait to get it. Rebel Fleet Trooper, mm-hmm. those troopers that get mown down. Sand, you know, a sand trooper. Yeah. Right? Th- that's what I'm talking like, That's when I say, like, just before the Phantom Menace, that's when it was its best. Yeah. When those figures came out, I remember yeah. seeing that Rebel Fleet Trooper in Toys R Us, and it was just like, it happened. It, it happened, but, but the proportions are bad. But anyway, but you're right. <laughs> The, now I'm getting fangry. No. Um, so, but so I love the simple designs too. So I, you know, I, but then again, I'm I'm a committed fan. I, you know, I I kind of like it all. I see the reason for existence for everything, and for me, it's more about the aesthetics. So there's a certain aesthetic and charm to the Kenner figures that reminds me of my youth. Or, you know, reminds me of growing up playing. Mm-hmm you know, with Star Wars figures, a key part of my childhood. So I, I like those and I want to see new figures. Like the, the ones that are re-releases, they don't have a room in my collection. I've already got a, I've already got a Luke, you know, I've already got the, the other characters, but the new ones, I'd say, bring them on. I like those. One, one question fans always have is, well, 
those figures are taking away resources from something else that Hasbro could be doing. You know, we want this over here. We want more vintage figures. You know, we want, you know, more six inch figures or something like that. So it's always a question for, you know, I think for Hasbro, where are they going to put their resources? And is that, is that paying, you know, is that paying off for them? But that's something that they, mm-hmm. you know, will decide on a year by year basis. But it's weird. It's just sort of hit me that the Star Wars toy license is the core problem of star wars like john i mean because because people watch star wars when they're little and then as they grow like some people want star wars to grow up with them but they want it to get more mature as they get more mature and i'm more i just want to feel 10 do you know what i mean i don't want to i don't i don't need the the gritty reboot you know it was gritty to begin with right yeah the um but yeah that it's because you get I'm sure you have collectors that want, you know, they they want the figures to grow up with them. And then yep. you've got people like me that's just like, I just want vinyl caped Kylo Ren guys. That would be well, awesome. So you, you're admitting like you like the feeling that you had when you were 10 years old. Other people want the line to mature with them. Yeah. Star or G.I. Joe is another good example of a line that has really evolved and you know those sculpts have become incredible and the articulation and you know the line has become like you know uh, uh, darker but more reflective of things that happened in the last films but there's a there's a standard of articulation now that's been reset fans really for the most part don't want to see it go backwards in Star Wars, I think there are some fans who welcome that simplicity because it reminds them of their childhood. You know, the day may come with G.I. Joe where people are asking for retro figures like that as well. But Star Wars is different because that five-point articulation really defined that format. You know, you didn't need more. And as kids, we didn't, you know, we didn't realize all the articulation that we were missing because those figures satisfied, you know, a perfect, you know, a perfect need. So... Um, you know, I say, I say, welcome it, but it does, it it is kind of interesting that now there are three aesthetics out there for figures. There's, you know, there's those retro figures, there's the five point articulation figures, like in the tube that they have now. Mm -hmm. And then there's the vintage figures, the high, you know, high articulation. It could be confusing for somebody, a kid new to the saga to kind of come into the store and have to pick and choose which one they want, because, you know, a lot of parents might steer them towards, uh, you know, the more deluxe figure, you know, or, or, uh, you know, um, that's the sort of thing I look at the aisle and I'm like, if I was a kid, like, what would I gravitate to sort of thing? And before we get to the book, I just want you to just, I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a claim. Okay. And then I want your reaction that Toys R Us closed down because Star Wars figures weren't selling. <laughs> a claim? A claim. That's... I, 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 it might be a very popular claim on YouTube.com. And Oh, no kidding. Like I, I've got a background in retail, right? So I, I sort of love all this stuff. But I do like that these stores, you know, how these giant shops that – Shut down because of this one toy line. No, didn't, not at all. They didn't give it more. If it was that crucial to the business, yeah. Why was it only three meters in the store? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you need to expand that. If if you're if 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 you've got a clothing shop and shoes are keeping you in business, yeah, you widen the shoe wall. Yeah, 
No, not at all. I mean, Toys R Us was right. They gave a lot of their prominent feature. I mean, they created a, a, a Star Wars feature shop right there, you know, in the front left of most stores. Toys R Us knew that, you know, Star Wars was a moneymaker for them. But no, that's not, you know, it's not true that, uh, you know, Star Wars figures weren't selling and the chain had to shut down. There were a lot you know, bigger problems going on than that. So as, as much as fans want to believe that it was all about Star Wars figures, Star Wars figures were probably helping Toys R Us stay alive a lot longer than they otherwise might have. Well, you know, Daryl, when you're a bit fangry, you, yeah, can, you, can, you can say some silly things. Exactly. Fangry. Um, all right. Now, if there's one thing I do collect... And that is sweet Star Wars books. That is one of my, like a sweet Star Wars book rekindled my love of Star Wars. The Steve Sansweet's concept screen to collectible. I got yep. that. It was a handbook on how to be a fan, what things, what lore to pass on, blue snaggletooth, the, the, the whole, like it, it sort of gave you the, the key things you needed to bore people relentlessly with Star Wars facts, right? And <laughs> and I always thank Stephen for that. You have got a Kickstarter, which it's kind of it, it's still we can make it better, but you've already you're three times the goal. So three, um, three times and working on uh, working its way towards four times the goal, which is absolutely incredible. So we don't know where it where it will end up, but um, the response. So first of all, the, the, the book is called Star Wars, the Vintage Collection Archive Edition. Um, it is a tribute to the vintage collection, which is a line that I helped launch at Hasbro in 2010. It actually has its roots in several series that, that preceded that. Um, but the idea is, you know, this collection is about in that original Kenner packaging delivering uh, the, the most uh, premium version of those figures in three and three quarter format that will ever exist. And it has become, when we relaunched the vintage collection in 2010, um, our agreement with Lucasfilm was that we will go beyond that, the original trilogy to cover the entirety of Star Wars. Everything was fair game. The prequel trilogy, we filtered in expanded universe characters, and it really covered the best that Star Wars had to offer with the best format of those characters on the best visual card back, you know, the visual packaging that ever existed for any toy. And that's what the vintage collection is about. So our book is a 300 page hardbound full premium tribute to this amazing line. And it is going to be an amazing book. So the fans have responded to your, to your point. They, they funded our Kickstarter in less than a day. And since then have been responding to the stretch goals you know, that we've kind of added successfully to keep rewarding fans. And so we keep adding, you know, uh, very cool stretch goals. So the next one I think that'll be unlocked is if we hit $175,000, uh -huh. um, it'll be a, a series of aluminum coins for some undone things in the line. So that's the next one that's in our, in, in our sites right now. So things like Jabba the Hutt, you know, um, a Java coin, um, ah. a slave one coin and, uh, 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 katana 
sale barge coin. So if we hit that goal, we're going to produce these coins in a nice little coin holder and just give those to everybody who buys a book. So that's the, you know, that's the next one. Well, my, my pet peeve about Kickstarters is when they don't have the thing that they're raising money for as one of the rewards. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. like I've had like people hit me up about stuff and it's like, oh, we're raising money to do this. I'm like, you've got to make one of the rewards the thing. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Just because that's like, it, it, as soon as I went to, yeah. like, as soon as I got sent this, I was like, the book better be one of the rewards. It was the first thing I checked. I was like, if the yeah. book's not one of the rewards, I, I just, I don't know what, or I don't know well, how I'm going to handle this, but because I just want to buy the book, like with all these things, people send me stuff. It's it's normally fan film and in films and, and, yes, and yeah. It's it's just like just just tell me that I'm gonna get a copy of the, like the book. Just let me buy the book now and send it to yeah. me when you're done. And 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 that is um it seems to be an un that's an untapped like that doesn't have a, a limit on it because some of these No, like, no, no. You're yeah. right. You're right. So the that's just the basic, you know, backer backer reward you can get is the is the book. It's at it's sixty dollars. You can get a signed one for, you know, with a nameplate that that uh I'll sign with the collaborators. In fact, Sansweet will sign that too. Um I should talk about my collaborators for a second, but the seventy-five dollar reward is the signed version. You get that, you're getting the book, and all these stretch goals we have are just things that we've created as a thank you because this campaign, I'll be honest, it's been ridiculous. When we first kind of set out to say, like, if we're going to do this book, what's where, you know, where do we need to kind of be funded to do it? And we, we looked against all of the other fan publishing efforts that had been done on Kickstarter and said, well, we could fall between this one and this one, which have been the successfully funded ones. We've blown through every, every metric, but to keep fans engaged and to, you know, maybe there's always the thing about Kickstarter. There are people who are on the sidelines and they want to wait or they want to, you know, see something else to, to come in. So we've given ourselves, you know, given the fans stretch goals, which, which also stretch us too. We've said, you know, one of the ones that was just funded was Kim Simmons, who the legendary photographer from Hasbro, who uh-huh. create, uh, from Kenner, who created the iconic posters defining, you know, our time uh, collecting three and three quarter uh, figures when we were kids. He created the iconic um, yellow backdrop poster, and then the uh, the one that was, you know, mailed out to some members of the of the club, the the the, the uh, more Return of the Jedi era one. He was the photographer behind the lens on these. We've commissioned him to go back and we're going to just send a recreation using vintage figures of that, you know, that legendary poster to just all backers. And if we hit that stretch goal with the coins at 175, every backer of a book who gets a book will just get the coins. So we kind of keep to your point, you back the book, but you get everything else. And we're just like kind of layering that on top. Well, so we're thanking the fans for the incredible support by just doing more you know, kind of uh, super cool things that we can do because uh, be, because now fans have shown you know their their enthusiasm behind the project. Being a Star Wars child of the eighties, action figures in front of a like a, a yellow or a blue background is it gets me emotional. And I always wondered, like on the back of the Hasbro of the Kenner cards, they'd have all the figures photographed, and they'd always. You know, the 42 back, whatever, whatever. And I could never work out how they 
well, on those angles. But on your Kickstarter, there's a photo of Kim Simmons and he's taking photos for the new book with, with the vintage collection. And you can actually see how he tears. There's like fabric yep. over oh, that. That I just seeing that is yep. unlocked. I wish I could go back and tell me how I, how they did that. Cause I was like, how do they, it doesn't seem natural the way they're all. And it was, I couldn't imagine that they'd be computer gen, you know, like moved around. Like no. they would be Kim, now. So but. Kim, Kim built all that. Those were all what we would say today, practical effects, right? Yes. So Kim's shooting it practically. And for the, um, you know, for the, the, uh, the mail out one, he's got a lot of the original elements of the set, like the, you know, the tree, you know, the tree parts and the, and the sand and things like that. He still has all those. So he's, he's going to put them all back together. So he's figuring out how big the stage is and how many tiers he needs to fit all the figures in. So we've given him all the figures. So it'll be all, you know, 150, 54 that he's going to have to lay out, I think is the number. That's what I was going to ask, how many vintage figures. So this book is kind of like an unofficial sequel to uh, Steve Sansweet did a, the action figure archive. Yep. yep. The action figure archive in 99. Yep. Which I... Um, you know, again, Steve Sansweet book, I'm all over it. Now, it's not just going to be photographs of the figure, which is actually a pretty good, especially for someone that did decide to live off other people's spending to enjoy collectibles, like just <laughs> just like look at their stuff and all that stuff. So, you, you know, there's tons of like detailed photos. And I, that Sansweet book, when I was trying to get my figures back together with their weapons... It was a very invaluable, it was very, uh, yeah, quite a good resource. But you're also going to talk to designers and marketers and people behind the scenes. So it's not like, it's not just going to be photos. There's going to be like tons of sort of in-depth behind the scenes stories. And and my favorite, unproduced items. Yes, yes. We're going to do this. So right now... So my role on the team, so let me mention my collaborators. Um, my two partners in uh, our company, we call, it's called Blue Milk. So Blue Milk, our vision is to produce premium uh, products for fans. And um, specifically in this case, it's, it's gonna be a premium book celebrating the vintage collection. So we're all about giving fans the information they need for their collecting to complete their collection, taking the spiritual, you know, kind of, we're the spiritual successor to what Steve was doing with his books. So we're kind of taking that baton and, and carrying that on. So my collaborators are D. Martin Myatt and uh, everybody, should know if they've gone to rebelscum.com, they've seen uh, D. Martin, we call him Dave, Dave's work. Um, he's the lead photographer and the, and the lead content curator for Rebel Scum and Cool Toy Review. And then my other collaborator, my other partner in Blue Milk is Rich Allot. And Rich is a longtime fan as well of Star Wars. And he was actually a marketer, uh, marketing manager for Tamashi Nations uh, oh, okay. for, for years. So has also been you know core involved in fandom on both sides you know on the on the corporate side and on the fan side they came to me with a vision of what this book would be and i signed on board once i saw their their kind of layout which is inspired by steve's 1999 book the archive book uh, that you talked about the goal here is a clean crisp 
presentation of every figure and we want to devote one single page to every figure to cover the card that it comes on a beautiful picture of the card beautiful picture of the figure the accessories crisp and clear so you can complete your collection like you talked about um and all the information you would need like the variations that you know that that might have been produced for that figure and then i'm writing the text to accompany it which is the inside story on the creation of that figure like why did we pick this figure over another figure um the design aspect of this any particularly challenging things i it's my goal to document which people don't know the designer the sculptor and the packaging artist the packaging designer for each of these because you know, the, the package for the vintage collection is so important, but what people don't know is how difficult it was to either recreate those original Kenner scenes, because those, you know, those Kenner scenes were all heavily doctored themselves, or how difficult it was to find a current image that kind of matched the tonality we're going for. And, you know, luckily, um, you know, a lot of the designers are, you know, they're super willing to talk. Um, I'm in the middle of a two-part interview, as a matter of fact, with Dave Reeves, um, who now works at Boss Fight Studios, who was the package designer for pretty much the entire uh, vintage run when I was there, the vintage collection run. And he had, we, we've started to talk, gone figure by figure, and he's filling me in on why he did this selection, what he had to do to make this image you know, work, and um, had stories that uh, I just didn't even know, like how difficult it was or the choices he had to make to you know, to put something in, in people's hands that felt like it was a new, you know, a contiguous part of the vintage collection. So uh, we were looking for the voices like that, that really informs the choice. And I think what, what makes this book unique is that everybody we've interviewed is, was so passionate about their craft that, you know, when I look back at my time at Hasbro, it was an amazing time. You know, those 10 years were great. In particular, those years were phenomenal years on star wars where i was in the trenches with a team of people who cared so deeply about what they were doing it was an amazing time i've never experienced anything like it because the the team was so committed uh to their craft whether it's mark boudreau as wow. a designer dave reeves in packaging brian parish and and um eric aranya who was also at boss fight who did, uh, you know, most of the basic figures that were ever done. Um, and Brian Merton, who designed almost all the exclusives. It's like every one of these guys remembers the details of the creation of these sets because we knew it was special at the time, you know, what we were doing and we were all committed. It was such a well-oiled team. I, it's, my experiences were so phenomenal that, you know, I feel it's, my design, you know, my job is to bring their stories to fans everywhere behind the creation of this, you know, this magic line. Now, with the pledges, there's the, the basic one. If you just want to, like, help out, there's like a $5 or more pledge and um, the force will be with you. Oh, and your name will appear in the contributor page in the book for five bucks. Yeah. Oh, I could. Yeah, we'll put it in there. I'm thinking of ways to take advantage of that. <laughs> like, like, do a couple so it spells yeah. out some word, or oh, I, 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 you do I, a whole bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but um, the, these like the the juicy ones that I like. It's just like pledge sixty dollars or more, and uh, you'll get one printed copy of the book. So for me, it's like, do you want to make sure this book's going to happen? 
Is it worth 60 bucks? And then this is a pretty cool one. For $75 or more, you can get a signed version from yourself and all the contributors, including Steve Sansweet. Yes. This one is interesting. I th- I know a few people that might be upgrading to this one. Pledge 200 or more, and it's the ultimate book backer two, and you yes. get a recreation or a reinterpretation of that Kenner yellow-backed Collect Them All poster with all the vintage collection figures by Kim Simmons. That- That's right. That so- I, I, I get a feeling that poster could end up being worth... A lot. It's a it's a fantastic poster. This is the yellow the the yellow backed poster we were talking about. Actually, Kim has the original cloth that he used to shoot the original. That will be the backdrop on the uh, for the photo. Um, the ultimate backer includes that plus a we're doing a recreation of the original Kenner vinyl uh, carry case. It's not vinyl, but it. It uh, looks just like that. It has the feel of it. It's going to be on like a premium um, chipboard slip case with a magnetic clasp for the, uh, uh, you know, for the, for the hinge. Okay. If, if it, people aren't watching, it's amazing. If, it's if, amazing. If, if people aren't watching the YouTube video version, um, you missed, I, I scrolled down to see this and I realized what it was and my mouth's just been open for about 15 seconds as I was like, that's a very good slip case. That is awesome. It's it's incredible. The, this the both the poster and the slipcase are you know absolutely. Uh, the, the, I, I can't believe that we're able to produce these to this kind of you know kind of quantity. They're going to be such awesome accompaniments to the to the book itself. So it's just fantastic. Now I should point out maybe my favorite pledge. For my Australian brethren, this is my favourite pledge because too long have we been left out in the cold by uh, releases and and shipping and and, and stuff like that. But if you pledge $240 or more, that's Hear me out, guys. I I can already... In my head, I'm already picturing listeners that like Chris Fresh, this... Angry, he's fangry. He's angry. He, yeah, he's he's in Melbourne, being all fangry about stuff. He um he'll be flipping his lip. But hear me out. For two hundred and forty dollars, you get four copies of the book. Which again, don't get fangry. We know you only need one, maybe two if you're a real sicko. Who knows? We're not gonna we're not gonna vouch for that. But if you've got three other collecting friends and you all want a book, because shipping stuff like. Like, it's way cheaper per book to ship four at once. And I did listen to um, you get interviewed on another podcast about this, and I was very impressed with this, that you designed the size of the book to fit in a mailer very well. I was like, that is right. that is good. You're an experienced uh, group of guys to, to, to do it that way around. I Oh, that's right. That was beautiful. But um, yeah. So if you are international and you want to get your hands on this, and you can you can team up with three other people, then um, three hundred bucks, four books, four names in the book. Yep. I, I I just want to like I'm I'm doing the name thing just to troll people. Like well, they, they just yeah. have they have to read my name. They don't have a choice. Well, 
Well, I mean, you're you're right. The individual cost to send something internationally is very high. We've realized that. So for for one book, it it uh, I'm looking at the drop down menu right now just for Australia for one book. It's quite expensive, mm -hmm. um, but it's more worthwhile if you can find several collectors to kind of team up and um, and do kind of a group purchase. It really makes the shipping you know come down a lot less. So that's why we put that. Uh, the bundle out there. Um, we've been very sensitive to fans' comments. There have been a, a number of them just about the cost to, uh, you know, to fulfill it to some far, you know, further destinations in the world. And there's a lot of fans in Australia. There's a lot of fans, you know, in the EU. And so our hope is that, you know, you can get like-minded fans together, um, jump in on the bundle, and then, um, you know, like you say, get the sign, you know, could get the signed one, and then, um, you know, really get those shipping costs down. So it's it's something that has, you know, we've twisted night and day on this, because our ultimate goal is we, we want to get these books in the hands of fans who want them, you know, everywhere without, without barriers. But uh, unfortunately, sometimes the postal system, especially U.S. postage, uh, is, you know, it's just gone up so much. There's just no way to, uh, you know, to get around it. So we try to create ways around it as much as possible. Our hope is that by the time people, you know, do get the book in their hands, they'll feel it's completely worthwhile that, uh, you know, all the effort and, and, you know, care and love that went into it is reflected on the, you know, on the pages when they do get it in their hands. Well, I have to say, with all this stuff, like the presentation of the Kickstarter and the book and, and the the goals and the, the, the pledges and stuff, it's, I don't know, it's just very well thought out, I think. So I am, um, I'm really excited about this. There's, I, I don't have just, I don't even have a hint of fangriness about this, <laughs> except that I have to wait to December. And, uh, but I'll, I'll just run over, this is the, the hard tax of the book. It's deluxe hardcover. Uh, 9.25, 11.5 inches. Uh, again, for my friends in Australia, that's uh, 23 and a half centimeters by almost 30 centimeters. Professionally designed layout with easy to use reference guide using high resolution photos and premium quality paper. Uh, covers the vintage collection, action figures, creatures, vehicles, and play sets. Everything, everything. Uh, chapter breaks with full page width photos inspired by Kenner era packaging. Yeah. So let me talk about that for a second. The chapter breaks are amazing in themselves because we have um, worked with many phenomenal fan photographers out there, you know, Sergeant Bananas and others, uh, Stephen Hayford will be doing some of these. People may recognize these names from people who are using action figures as their actors and producing amazing photography, sets, designs, everything. Those will be sourcing those as the chapter breaks. So as you turn from one chapter to another, say from the, the vintage original trilogy chapter, you know, almost it's like the prequel to the vintage collection, going into the vintage collection, you'll see a beautiful picture using the vintage collection figures in action. One of the stretch goals we've already unlocked is we'll be taking those chapter breaks and presenting them in a mini folio because those are works of art themselves that deserve to be, you know, celebrated, uh, kind of unadorned. So we'll be taking those photos and including them in a little folio uh, to everybody who backs a book. That's already been unlocked. But those chapter breaks are another example of the community that's been behind getting this book created. So not only 
our fans, the community that is helping get it created because they've backed it, we're also sourcing content from the fans as well in terms of these chapter breaks. And so as Blue Milk goes on and, you know, we hope that we'll be able to do more books in the future that will continue on, this kind of collaboration, I think, is is amazing because, um, you know, we get fans actually, you know, helping uh, helping create the content that's inside. How many was this one backer? I like this one. Pledge five thousand dollars or more. Executive producer. Oh, what a backer! What a backer this is too. Uh, um, and, and that is and, yeah. And one one of the the, the more uh, notable things you get in this uh, already taken pledge is uh, you don't just get photos. They'll they'll, they'll send you the sale barge. We're we're probably going to drive the sail barge. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. To to this particular fan who backed this and um, was so enthusiastic about the project and really believed in the project that they 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 wanted to see uh, you know it unlocked and 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 backed it with ferocity. So um, this is a very special one for us. So um, we're going to uh, celebrate this one in a very special way. So that's awesome. Um, I won't say anything more about that right now, but um, this fan gets the sale barge. They get the vinyl case slip cover, you know, many copies of the book. Um, it's a fantastic pledge. So thank you uh, to our backer, the executive producer uh, backer. The AP. Very cool. Yep. Now, um, do you have plans like to have this sold at retail later on or a different like sort of maybe slimmed down version of it or? So we've, we haven't really talked about anything beyond, you know, just delivering the book and mm -hmm. fulfilling the book here. Um, you know, through the Kickstarter, there are probably people who are going to become collectors or who just won't have heard of it, you know, a year from now. Just like people, there are people now who didn't hear about the Katana Sail Barge as much publicity as that got, you know, through HasLab. There are people who said, what? How come, how, how does this exist? I didn't know about it. It's like, well, for various reasons, kind of people, or they come back into collecting. So there will be people, you know, beyond the Kickstarter who I'm sure will need a book. We haven't figured out how to best deliver that to them yet, but I'm sure down the road there, there'll probably be a solution for that. So, but right now the focus is on the Kickstarter and all the, th this is the thing is we've added stretch goals. It's pretty amazing what you get. So any backer right now who orders the book, you know, say at the $60 level, we'll get the art folio. We'll get the Kim Simmons. Um, we'll get this, uh, the Kim Simmons star Wars is forever mail away poster. And if we get to the, uh, coin level, uh, you'll get the coins. You just get that for free. That won't be available anywhere else, you know, out, outside of Kickstarter. So, um, you know, those are substantial rewards for anybody who's on the fence now or who wants to jump in on the Kickstarter or get it as a gift. I will give people a hint. The thing with these collecting books is they're purchased by collectors. And so they <laughs> tend to go up in price. Like, Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. So I, I, I would get in on this. That is true. I will, I will echo that. I've got a few myself, you know, the Kellerman archives and things like this that are, that are core foundations. So, um, I, you know, I can, I will or will not, I won't speculate on the future value of the, <laughs> you know, Star Wars, the vintage collection archive edition, but, uh, thank you, Steele, for your support of 
the value it it appears to be now. So I, I see this guy, this, this executive producer that put in five grand. He's getting a bunch of books and a sale barge. He could he, he could hit eBay with a profit by the end of this. You know that, don't you? He could. <laughs> he's not all benevolent. He's got a good strategy. I don't know if you heard about Mike Pappas. This is a very dodgy friend of the podcast i'm not sure if he's uh, around this now uh well what's the this is going to be linked on all uh if you're on the podcast if you're on the site or if you're on youtube there's a link directly under whatever content you are consuming now to get to it what's the easiest way for googlers it's just is there a website or is it just go straight to kickstarter and and, and search for star wars hey, you- you can go to Kickstarter and search. You can just put in Star Wars Vintage and it'll pop up right to the top. You can also go to our website. So our website, it's easy to remember. It's Blue Milk, where the uh, dot is on the uh, in between the Blue MI and the LK. So our that's our website domain. Mm-hmm. It's bluemi.lk. Blue and you'll find all of the information about the book there. So you can go there and also check back there for you know, updates. Most of the updates will come through the Kickstarter, but we will put some content on Blue Milk after the campaign ends. There's eight days to go as we record this. And um, so there's an opportunity to to uh, to jump in and um, and you can go at it from there. But we'll have plenty of updates as we as we progress, you know, to, uh, you know, let fans know how we're doing. Our goal is to get this in everybody's hands by the holiday this year. So we want to time it up to all the excitement that's going to happen, uh, you know, before episode nine to really try and get this um, in everybody's hands as the ultimate celebration of everything that's happening this fall. There's so much Star Wars, exciting Star Wars stuff happening. We just wanted to be part of that. Now, for those that want to rewind about 30 seconds, when Daryl said there's eight days to go as we record this, that that's him like passive aggressively <laughs> telling me, don't mess about. Get this episode up. Babies can look after themselves. It's all good. But we will do get it up uh, as soon as possible. I, I, yeah, I, again, as I said, I'm a huge fan of toys, of course, but like sweet Star Wars resource books. I, um, I think I, I really love them because I didn't know really anyone that was into Star Wars, like the way I was back home. And just having those books, you could just... I don't know, just read stories from other people that super work. Now, Daryl, you have been extremely generous with your time. For those that are watching on YouTube, you can see that Daryl's room has darkened quite a bit <laughs> since we started this. I'm on Pacific time. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still getting a tan through my uh, front like, window I'm, here. I'm just, I'm just, I've just enjoyed my time talking to you. I can get up and turn on the lights, but we should probably, you're right, we should probably wrap it up. Can I just stretch the friendship? A stretch goal. This is a stretch goal for the podcast, oh, you yeah. guys. Uh, and just get a couple of, of, of broad Star Wars toy questions out of the way. That I, I, what, what, What's your favorite Star Wars toy that you have been involved with? Oh, wow. Um, getting the Millennium, the big Millennium Falcon done is a highlight, but I would have to say I'm most proud of uh, the Build-A-Droid line that uh, I helped usher in um, for, a, for a couple of reasons. It was phenomenal. It, this ran in our legacy collection from 2008 to 2000. 
11. We did years of awesome droids that never would have existed without that. But it was inspired by my love of the original Droid Factory, Kenner Droid Factory. And I, I look at that with pride because it was logistically very difficult to do. But um, I, I, I loved it. Secondarily, I got to work very closely with the Disney Parks team on the Build-A-Droid experience at the park. Ah, yeah. They built that out as a direct result of what we had done. Same thing with the build your own lightsaber experience, which has now become, you know, such a core part of Galaxy's Edge. So those highlights to me doing these kind of build buildable experiences have translated to the real experiences at the park and that's validation, you know, of those ideas, those original ideas actually that Kenner had that were all inspired inspired by that. So um but so those those are things I'm you know, I'm most proud of, I think, my time there. Were you, were you ever shocked by the how popular a certain figure was? Well, um, there's all kinds of degrees of that. You know, Darth Vader, by far, was for many years the most popular character that we would do. And it seemed like we could sell an endless number of Darth Vaders. Like the kids of the world, could, they, were never, they could never have enough Darth Vaders. Um, so that was, that was, you know, validation of just the power of Star Wars, but other characters that we would do would get, be off the charts, like Mara Jade, you know, characters from the expanded universe that were much beloved that we would, that we would do had incredible popularity, even though you might say, well, that's a small piece of fandom off to the side, never in the movies, but it just, it just underscores that, you know, there are beloved characters and, and, you know, Star Wars fans hold in their heart that, you know, even these off, off world series, they, they, they embrace those characters. Yeah. I, I, I found those when they came out, like I, I'm fascinated with how Star Wars works with people's heads and their emotions and, and how they relate to it and stuff. But I feel like those figures were like a validation of being into those characters and now they seemed realer that they got a figure yeah. and it's like, yes, you know, it's not in a movie or whatever, but it's got this bit. Like that's how important this, this, like it's true. There's, this is an important yes. character. I, I have the exact same belief. Like I want to see it in physical form and I'm a big fan of, well, we've talked about the Cantina aliens. I'm a big fan of rebel pilots too. So every rebel pilot in all those squadrons, even the ones you never got to, you know, hear who they were, you just, the call sign, you know, red one, red two, all of these guys who gave their lives, like you may have seen them in the hangar just briefly on a, you know, a comm screen. I want to see those guys because they're made real to me when they're on my shelf. And, um, and there's a validation. It becomes physical. It becomes real. Our, our love and affection for that, for that thing that we have this emotional attachment about when you finally get that figure in your hand, you're right. And it's part of the bigger star Wars fabric. There's something very important about that. And that's why fans have, you know, their undone favorites that, you know, they want to see, they want to see done. So when or what was when, when, when did a product get released that the fans called out for and you were just like, that's it, I'm not listening to the fans anymore. This thing is, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's on pegs everywhere. It's, it's not working out. I, I've, oh. I, I've got a guess. but You, uh, you know what it is. So, okay, <laughs> we're going to write down our guesses and then we're going to reveal it. No. So 
by far it's Wilrow Hood. Do you know Wilrow <laughs> Hood? Is this the one you were thinking of? It was not. It was it not. It was not. Oh, I can't wait to hear yours. But Wilrow Hood is they call him the ice cream maker guy. Yes. He's become iconic for uh, his obscurity now. It's this guy in a an orange jumpsuit who runs through the halls of uh, Cloud City, Bespin, in Empire Strikes Back, and he's holding this white thing, which was just an ice cream maker they grabbed off the shelf and just gave to the guy. He's become iconic in his obscurity, and I think fans champion the idea that they could get anything created when they voted in one of the fans' votes to do Wilro Hood. So we did Wilro Hood. But there weren't as many fans who really wanted to buy Will Rowhood as seemed to vote for Will Rowhood. So he was a bit of a peg warmer. And that, you know, that goes to show that there are fans vote figures or f- figures that fans want that, you know, really have potential. And there are, and there are some that just are a force of will sometimes just to get through. But you have to be careful of those because they could they could really damage you if you over release figures like that. Yeah, and Will Rowhood, we over-released. <laughs> I was going to guess it was, um, I might mispronounce her name, Guardian or Guardian or the the, the dancer, the the, the multiple-breasted. Oh, Yarna, Yarna oh, Del Gargan? Yeah, Gargan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yarna, we, ne- we, we, we released Yarna, but we didn't go long, what we call go long on Yarna, right? We didn't like over-release her. We wanted to be very careful on Yarna and she never really was a problem. I don't know if where you lived, you saw a lot of them gather on the pegs, but we were very careful not to over-release her. Uh... She was a, she was a, what we would call more of a chase figure. Maybe a, she was in one wave and then kind of done. So we wouldn't actually release her. And that's the, science to the art of star wars figures is actually and this is what i love doing for so many years which is actually trying to call with accuracy how many of each figure we were going to make so they would sell through and we could get to the next wave without a problem it's it's when you have figures pile up on the pegs that you can't get to the next wave and everything kind of backs up it's like a or a series of dominoes that just start falling so you know um and that, that's an inevitable problem when you have what we call a wave-driven line like Star Wars after a period of time. But the real science was in trying to really get the numbers right to make sure that things just keep flowing instead of backing up at retail. The science of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we did it so fans <laughs> wouldn't get fangry. <laughs> an awesome way to wrap up daryl it's been an absolute pleasure you've been so generous with likewise. your time and likewise deal yeah the book is like i'm pumped for it i am um thank you i am christmas president i've been a good boy so far <laughs> so i'm hooking myself up with this bad boy i'm uh i'm very excited now uh one thing before you go is we always want to know what people are looking forward to most in Star Wars. Um, you know, there's untold content coming. There's TV shows. There's, there's cartoons. There's movies. Um, what what what's got your attention, Daryl? Well, I I was at Celebration and was able to uh, get into the Mandalorian panel, mm-hmm. and I was so excited uh, by what I saw. I'm a big fan of kind of the uh, spaghetti westerns, mm-hmm. and I think this is one thing that Dave Filoni talked has the the it's infused in this. Big fan of the Mandalorians. I can't wait to see kind of what new 
small stories we're going to get mm. in the universe. Like we've had big stories on the big screen. I'm looking forward to the small stories of the the people who live in these backwater towns and make that work. I you don't know what the series will be like, but I'm hoping we get that slice of life. And from what it, what we've seen, it it looks like it it will have that. So we'll be seeing some new small stories. And that's really what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Even that clip they showed of them with the, the chits or the, they're talking about bounties and all that. Like, it was like, Oh, that's like this little, like yeah. lifestyle that I've never even thought about in star Wars. It's very yeah. interesting. It's the economics. Like how, how can I afford to live? My job is to hunt people. There's a certain price below which it's not worth it, but man, I've got to put fuel in my ship and, you know, I've got to eat. So I'll take that. You know, I don't like what you're paying, but I've got to take it to live. That's the awesome 99.9% of the Star Wars galaxy. And I can't wait to see that. How about you? What are you excited about? Uh, I'm a lot. I'm the rise of Skywalker. I, I, yeah. I, I'm i a Luke Skywalker guy. I'm a, I'm a saga guy. And like, I, you know, Mandalorian looks awesome. And, and the thought of, I, I'm so looking forward to watching star wars and every week like that's just like i know we have the animation but like i've always been jealous of like like especially from like a, like people are gonna just shake their heads and just go classic steel but from a content point of view to like be able to do like a a tv show review each week and then look at the trailer for like because I, li- I listen to all like the lost podcasts and um, all those shows and, you know, I, not that I'm into those shows, like the, like talking dead and like all the, having that weekly thing to talk about. I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that, but yeah, the, the, to find out how the, the, the story ends, um, yeah. is, uh, I like anything that impresses seven year old me. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's how I try to re- live my life is by impressing seven-year-old me. And the fact that we're, there's a film coming out called The Rise of Skywalker is, and it's, it's going to be good. Or it might not be, but the, so. this is the thing with me is the, it's, it's the experience. Like I was thinking about the other day that The Force Awakens could have been horrible, but I had the best year of my life in the lead up to it. So I sort of like, I didn't like that two hours, but the other three sixty four days or whatever was like, it was, it was bliss. I had so much fun. So I, <laughs> I, um, I just like the, just, just keep fun coming and not yeah. make it, not put out so much that it's not an event. Like I want, right. I, 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 I need my event, Star Wars. Keep it event. And uh, for those that enjoy tweeting and liking and Instagramming, uh, are you or Blue Milk on social media? Blue Milk, yep. We're on all social media. You can find us on Instagram, less on Facebook. Um, and uh, mostly, mostly Instagram is where we're on. So Blue Milk, you can follow us. Um I post occasionally. My uh, coworkers, uh, you know, post a little bit more. Um, you know, D. Martin Myatt and Rich a lot, so you can find us. But Blue Milk is a good way to follow us. Awesome, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks to everyone for listening, and may that force be with you.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to our chat with Daryl. It was an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast and I hope you enjoyed it and have time to check out that Kickstarter. There's only days to go. And as Harry is very enthusiastically letting you know, time is running out for both his bedtime and you to get a copy of the book. If you enjoyed the episode, do what you can to spread the word. If you watched it on YouTube, hit like, subscribe, give us a retweet on Twitter. You know how it can work. And uh, when it does, it really helps the show out. So please spread the word. And if you want to become a Patreon from just $3, you can have weekly bonus content. Quite often with Harry on there. We just put up a two-hour episode, episode five of Star Wars Year by Podcast, our very popular and well-received Star Wars history podcast that I do with Blue Harvest Podcasts, Hawes Burkhart. We talk about Star Wars history. We covered 1976, the year before Star Wars, on the last episode, but regular listeners know. It's not just all old school. We tangent about into the 90s, into the 2000s, and today. It is just an awesome chat with a great Star Wars fan and friend to us all, Hawes Burkhart. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. And it seriously helps us keep the podcast going. Because as you might hear, I've got a little boy to look after and uh, have babysitters for and all that good stuff. So uh, every patron helps. Trust me on that. If you are going to San Diego Comic Con, I will be on Chris Gore's Film Threat Panel, which is Friday, I believe, at 2pm over at the library. So uh, come down and check that out. And Saturday evening, probably 6 or 7, we'll be having a, uh, a podcast meetup of some form. So check that out. I'll be posting all about that on social media once I've locked down the times and uh, make sure that uh, crew can attend. Uh, make sure you're following us at Steel Wars, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Check that out. And for other podcast appearances, I appear briefly on the 125th episode of The Bad Motivators, which is one of my favorite Star Wars podcasts. I think I'm on there for about half an hour. And also, I don't think I've mentioned this, I am on the Toy Story 4. For non-spoiler episode of Comedy Film Nerds. Back with those guys, Graham and Chris, always the best of times. And we talk about Toy Story 4 in a non-spoiler manner, but also talk tons of Star Wars and uh, revisit our trip to Galaxy's Edge that Chris was a part of. So that is Comedy Film Nerds. Guys... I love making this show. It's the best. Thanks for your support. And may that force be with you. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.